Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to Aritzia's first quarter fiscal 2022 results conference call. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there'll be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I will now turn the conference over to Helen Kelly, Vice President of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, Arrow, and thank you for joining Aritzia's first quarter fiscal 2020 earnings conference call. On the call today, I'm joined by Brian Hill, our founder, Chief Executive Officer and Chairman, Jennifer Wong, our President and Chief Operating Officer, and Todd Ingledew, our Chief Financial Officer. Following management's discussion, will host a question and answer period open to analysts and investors. Please note that the remarks on this call may include our expectations, future plans, and intentions that may constitute forward-looking statements. Due to the material impact of COVID-19 on business operations in fiscal 2021, certain references to our pre-pandemic results in first quarter fiscal 2020 have been included where management deems to be a more meaningful measurement of performance. The uncertain nature of COVID-19 and its ongoing impact could continue to materially alter our performance. We would refer you to our most recently filed management discussion and analysis and our annual information form, which will include a summary of the material assumptions as well as risks and factors that could affect our future performance and our ability to deliver on these forward-looking statements. Our earnings release, the related financial statements and MD&A, as well as an updated investor presentation are available on CDAR and the Investor Relations website at aritzia.com. I will now turn the call over to Brian. Thank you, Helen. And thank you all for joining us this afternoon. I am pleased alongside with Jennifer and Todd to share with you our Q1 results. We've had a terrific start to fiscal 2022. Our multi-channel business is thriving and we are emerging from the pandemic with sustained growth in e-commerce and accelerating sales in the United States. Adding to our already strong business momentum as of the last two weeks, all our Canadian boutiques are now reopened, with most capacity restrictions coming off of the remaining 50% of our Canadian boutiques this coming Friday. With our entire business open, our clients everywhere can now enjoy the everyday luxury experience whenever, wherever, and however they choose. Our future is bright, and I could not be more grateful and proud of our extraordinary team. As we drive forward together, meaningful growth, leveraging our world-class infrastructure, and strong financial position to expedite investments across our four strategic growth drivers. While Todd will provide the details on our Q1 financials, I'm extremely pleased to share with you our performance highlights. We saw net revenue grow 122% from $111 million last year to $247 million this year, and 26% from $197 million two years ago. This was despite half our Canadian boutiques remaining closed for two-thirds of the quarter 
and ongoing capacity restrictions in open Canadian boutiques. In the United States, our brand affinity deepened, where in Q1 net revenues grew 63% in U.S. dollars from two years ago and 243% from last year. In our e-commerce channel, revenues continued the positive trend, growing 19%, which we are pleased with, given that during Q1 last year, e-commerce grew 125%, whilst our boutiques were all closed for the majority of the quarter. In addition, e-commerce made up 42% of our business in Q1, compared to 20% in the same quarter two years ago, more than doubling its contribution. We continue to fuel our surging e-commerce business by elevating our everyday lecture experience digitally. This quarter, we delivered numerous online enhancements and moved forward on our Omni Capabilities Initiative, ensuring we are well positioned to launch the various Omni client services throughout this coming year. To further advance digital services in our boutiques, we continue the rollout of our clientele app across all locations. I am very pleased by our boutique performance as retail sales productivity in open boutiques returned to nearly pre-COVID-19 levels. This was led by the United States, where comp boutiques returned positive single-digit growth and our new boutiques continued to outperform expectations. During the quarter, the productivity of our open Canadian boutiques further improved despite ongoing capacity restrictions. Suburban locations continue to outperform urban, However, the ongoing pandemic recovery across North America and the resulting increase in activity in downtown cores bodes well for the future boutique recovery. Turning to product, our clients responded exceptionally well to our spring-summer collection with expanded development in almost every category. As restrictions ease and active social lifestyles return, so has our clients' desire to refresh and extend their wardrobes. Casual clothing continues to perform exceedingly well, and as our clients enjoy reducing, reduced COVID-19 restrictions, we are excited to see increased performance in less casual fashion styles. Our strong inventory position going into Q1 enabled us to successfully capitalize on our clients' enthusiasm and our sustained growth in e-commerce and accelerating business in the United States. It also protected us from the well-documented ongoing global supply chain disruptions as a result of the pandemic's recovery. At the end of the quarter, our inventory was up 44% by design as our business continues to grow and supply chain challenges remain. Of note, we're up 83% as of the end of the Q4, which strategically helped to fuel our increase in sales in Q1. We remain confident we will finish the season in a clean inventory position, as usual. In marketing, we continued delivering captivating communications that seamlessly translated across all our channels and platforms. Engaging our clients with brand and feature-focused campaigns throughout the launch, spring and summer. But with exciting opportunities in digital marketing, we further invested in world-class talent, specifically in social media and influencer where we're developing strategies to continue to capitalize on these high potential areas. We remain steadfast in our commitment to being responsible for the planet and the people who live on it. This was highlighted in the quarter with the launch of two incredibly successful capsule collections in support of our partner organizations and becoming a participant of the UN Global Compact 
as part of our overall ESG strategy. I will now turn the call over to Jennifer, where she will further discuss this and share her perspectives on key areas of our operations. Thanks, Brian, and good afternoon, everyone. Building on our strong operational foundation, we are extremely pleased to see the momentum in our business as the building blocks we've put in place continue to fuel our growth. Today, I'll touch on four areas in operation. First, an update on our distribution, logistics, and concierge operations. Second, infrastructure investments to support future growth. Third, our ongoing investment in talent. And finally, our progress on ESG. As Brian noted, disruptions related to the pandemic continue to reverberate through the global supply chain. While we're not immune to the industry-wide challenges, our teams have continued to successfully employ resourceful solutions to minimize the impact. As noted on the last call, we've ramped up use of expedited freight to offset longer lead times caused by limited vessels and sailing. And in response to ongoing port congestion in LA, we continue to redirect freight, transferring our goods through Canada to our DC and Ohio, effectively reducing potential delays by 30 to 50%. Our DC and logistics team continued their exceptional performance in support of the increased demand. During the quarter, our DCs processed a record 11 million units. We had a 50% increase in units picked, packed, and shipped compared to pre-pandemic levels, including a tripling of our e-commerce units. If you've been in a distribution center the size of ours, you'll know that this level of demand can put real stress on operations and requires meticulous attention as inventory is coming in, is being processed, picked, packed, and shipped all at the same time. Every detail is carefully considered at our DCs to ensure the end result, whether it's our product arriving at our boutiques or at the doorsteps of our clients, delivers our everyday luxury experience. Our growing concierge team kept pace with our DCs, clocking in nearly 800,000 client interactions so far this year. With e-commerce as our largest boutique, this team is the human connection to our brand when clients shop on Aritzia.com. With a revamped organizational structure in place, we are optimizing processes and evolving technology to further empower our concierge stylists as we elevate how we connect, service, and delight our clients who shop online. During the quarter, we introduced dynamic routing to direct client interactions to the right advisor at the right time to deliver a truly world-class experience. Going forward, we're building up analytics and reporting capabilities to provide real-time KPIs to drive overall productivity, performance, and job satisfaction for this important team and revenue center. Throughout Aritzia's history, we've prided ourselves on growing infrastructure ahead of the curve to enable our growth. Our ability to meet demand in Q1 is testimony to the solid operational foundation. To support numerous ongoing product expansion initiatives and accelerated e-commerce growth, we are expanding two of our three distribution centers, as mentioned on our last call. First, we're adding 50% more usable space to our Vancouver, D.C. 
We're in the midst of completing detailed designs with a targeted completion for spring-summer 2022. Second, I am excited to announce the insourcing, relocation, and expansion of our DC in the Greater Toronto Area. At $35 million, this will be the single largest infrastructure investment in our history. Our new DC will be 550,000 square feet, more than three and a half times the size of our existing Toronto DC. This is the equivalent of roughly six and a half Canadian football fields. Our new facility will service the eastern half of Canada and our growing volume of e-commerce orders in the U.S. We will optimize costs and enhance our delivery times, further leveraging what has become a core competency for us. As this milestone project progresses, I look forward to sharing more details with you. Our e-commerce team is the busiest they've ever been with ongoing optimizations to enhance our clients' digital experience with improved size charts and product details, upgraded checkout, and country-specific content personalization. Our technology team is working hard to enhance the enterprise-wide technologies to support our growth. We recently embarked on a number of projects to upgrade our primary systems, including our point-of-sale system in retail, our warehouse management system at our DC, phase two of our product lifecycle management system to support product expansion, and continued progress on our Omni capabilities, including all of the key elements to support the launch of store inventory visibility later this year. As always, I'm so grateful to the dedication and hard work of everyone on our team. And a special shout out to those busy behind the scenes working diligently to meet our evolving business demands, all the while building the necessary infrastructure we rely on to support our growth. As we look forward, we remain acutely aware that our people are, quite simply, everything. We are continuously investing in our team, from training to workplace upgrades and more, and we remain committed to developing our next generation of leaders while recruiting top talent to Aritzia. Our people and culture team is laser focused on filling a multitude of key positions across all areas and all levels of our business. We were delighted to welcome reigning champ to our Aritzia family in June, which Brian will speak more to shortly. From an operations standpoint, we are partnering with their leadership team through a transition period. This will allow us to take the necessary time to learn their business, identify where we can best leverage their strengths and ours, and to maximize business results. Develop a comprehensive go-forward plan, and, and develop a comprehensive go-forward plan. As with all of our major initiatives, we have a separate integration team undertaking this in an orderly and thoughtful manner so that we can stay focused on running our business. Finally, as Brian touched on earlier, we are very proud to have become a participant in the UN Global Compact as part of our commitment to our ESG strategy. As diversity, racial equality, and social justice continue to be shared societal goals, we remain committed to listening, learning, and taking action. 
Because real change starts from within, we've been working on this from the inside out. During the quarter, we held internal education sessions on racial allyship and anti-Asian violence and celebrated pride with our teens through our partnership with the Stonewall Community Foundation. We shared learnings and counsel on how we can be even better allies and the positive change that each of us can amplify through our individual spheres of influence. In using our platform to give back and affect positive change, we also launched three successful brand campaigns. We launched two capsule collections, one in support of women and children in need, and the other amplifying women's voices and furthering progress towards gender equality and inclusivity. In total, we raised over $200,000. And we shone the light on revolutionary individuals who are paving the new path for the LGBTQIA2S plus community through our Pride Now, Proud Forever campaign. All of these campaigns received tremendous response and we're extremely pleased with how we meaningfully engaged and deepened our connections with our loyal clientele. In closing, there's never been a more exciting time for our people as dedicated brand ambassadors and our loyal clients as we elevate both their worlds through everyday luxury. I'll now turn the call over to Todd to discuss our financial results. Thanks, Jennifer, and good afternoon, everyone. Our strong performance in the first quarter reflects our growing brand affinity in the United States and the strength of our multi-channel business. For the first quarter, we generated net revenue of $247 million, an increase of 122% from last year and 26% from the first quarter two years ago, pre-COVID-19. This was despite the closure of 34 boutiques in Canada for over two-thirds of the quarter. Of particular note, sales productivity in our open boutiques was essentially flat to the first quarter of fiscal 2020, returning to pre-COVID-19 levels faster than anticipated. U.S. boutiques comp positively compared to pre-COVID-19 levels, while open boutiques in Canada began to build momentum despite ongoing capacity restrictions in the first quarter. Our e-commerce momentum continued in the first quarter as well, as our strategic investments continued to pay dividends. E-commerce revenues were $104 million, a 19% increase on top of the 125% increase in the first quarter last year at the start of the pandemic when all of our boutiques were closed. E-commerce penetration in the quarter was 42%, more than double the 20% from the first quarter two years ago. Lastly, our business in the United States saw acceleration of sales as our brand affinity continued to grow and the country began to emerge from the pandemic. Our U.S. net revenues in the quarter grew 205% from the prior year and 51% when compared to two years ago. In U.S. dollars, excluding the impact of foreign exchange, net revenue grew 243% and 63% respectively. Please note, I will compare gross profit and SG&A to fiscal 2020, two years ago, pre-COVID-19, as it is a more relevant comparison. We delivered gross profit of $109 million, up 28% compared to $86 million in the first quarter of fiscal 2020. Gross profit margin was 44.2% in the quarter, 
expanding 70 basis points from 43.5% two years ago. The improvement in gross profit margin was primarily due to the strengthening of the Canadian dollar, improved leverage on store occupancy, and lower markdowns. These gains were partially offset by higher warehousing and distribution center costs driven by the volume growth in our e-commerce business. SG&A expenses in the quarter were $70 million, up 29% compared to $54.4 million in the first quarter of fiscal 2020. SG&A as a percent of net revenue was 28.5% in the quarter, up 80 basis points from 27.7% two years ago. The basis point increase was driven by continued investment in talent across e-commerce, marketing, and IT to support the future growth of our business. SG&A also included $3 million of incremental COVID-19 related expenses. Overall, we generated $41 million of adjusted EBITDA in the first quarter, or 16.6% of net revenue, compared to $35 million, or 18% of net revenue in fiscal 2020. Considering we had 34 boutiques closed for two-thirds of the quarter and continued COVID-19 expenses, we're very pleased with these results. Inventory was $165 million at the end of the quarter, up 44% from last year. As a reminder, our increase in inventory is comprised largely of strategic buys and proven sellers from our feature programs that successfully fueled our revenue growth in the first quarter and are driving our performance in the second quarter. We ended the quarter with ample liquidity comprised of $158 million in cash and full access to the $100 million under our revolving credit facility. Subsequent to the quarter, we closed the acquisition of 75% of reigning champ, based on a total enterprise value of approximately $63 million. The initial 75% or $47 million will be paid with cash, with $33 million paid at closing and the $14 million pullback to be paid over the next two years. The remaining 25% equity interest held by Reigning Champs management's, management shareholders will be converted into Aritzia shares in up to three installments from 2024 to 2026. We are excited about the acquisition and with the opportunity for men's to become a meaningful part of our business. Another subsequent event, which just closed today, is the refinancing of our credit facility, extending it four years to fiscal 2026. As part of the refinancing, we repaid our $75 million term loan and at the same time increased our revolving credit facility from $100 million to $175 million. This ensures we have access to the same liquidity and generates interest savings of approximately $1.2 million per year. Today, after the term loan repayment, we are zero drawn on the revolving credit facility and have approximately $120 million in cash on hand. Looking ahead, we are pleased with the sustained momentum in the second quarter to date. We are on track to deliver second quarter net revenue of between $290 and $300 million, representing growth of 45 to 50% compared to last year. Our strong performance reflects continued accelerated growth in the United States across both channels, in addition to the ongoing retail recovery and the reopening of all of our boutiques in Canada over the last two weeks. We are also seeing the continued easing of restrictions across Canada, with Ontario increasing store capacities this Friday.
While pandemic-related challenges aren't completely behind us, we believe we're well-positioned for the remainder of the second quarter. Given our strong performance to date, we have raised our outlook for fiscal 2020 and now expect net revenue to be 1.15 to 1.2 billion, up from our previous guidance of 1.11 to 1.16 billion. For the fiscal year, we continue to expect gross profit margin to remain relatively flat to fiscal 2020. We anticipate gains in the first half, resulting from leverage on fixed costs and the strengthening Canadian dollar, will be offset by increased cost pressures in the back half from higher warehousing and distribution center costs, continued investment in product talent, and the impact of higher costs related to expedited freight. SG&A, as a percent of net revenue, is expected to increase compared to fiscal 2020. Accelerated investments in people, processes, and technology are expected to more than offset the leverage on fixed costs, con contributing to an approximately 75 basis point increase over fiscal 2020. In addition, we expect to incur ongoing operating expenses related to COVID-19 of approximately $9 million for the year, a further 75 basis points. Reigning Champ is expected to deliver $25 million in revenue and $5 million in adjusted EBITDA for the full year. For reporting purposes, we will fully consolidate Reigning Champ's financial position and results from operations for only eight months, from the June 25th closing date through to the end of the fiscal year, and remove the 25% non-controlling interest from adjusted EBITDA. Therefore, Rainy Champ is expected to add approximately $17 million in revenue and $3 million in adjusted EBITDA for the remainder of our fiscal 2022. These amounts are incremental to the Aritzia outlook provided. In summary, we are pleased with the strength of our business across all channels. Our product continues to resonate with our clients, our e-commerce is sustaining its momentum, our U.S. business is accelerating, and all of our boutiques are now reopened and performing on average at pre-pandemic levels. With our strong balance sheet position, we are accelerating investment in our strategic initiatives. We are excited about our future and are confident that our history of operational discipline and track record of driving profitable growth will continue to position us to deliver meaningful shareholder value. With that, I'll now turn the call back to Brian. Thank you, Todd. <clears throat> As Todd discussed, we've had a strong start to Q2, which we kicked off with our multi, our much-loved annual summer sale. We continue to see an acceleration of sales across both channels in the United States, as well as sustained growth in our e-commerce business in Canada. And we are delighted with the reopening now of all our Canadian boutiques. As I had previously suggested, as a result of COVID-19, People have changed how they're going about doing things. However, they have not changed what they do, socializing and going out, attending events and starting to travel again. And they need fashionable everyday luxury product to do so. Our expanding product assortment serves us well in, in responding to increasing demand and will continue to do so in the future. As the pandemic continues to evolve, there are, however, ongoing impacts as we anticipated. While we could not be more excited by our results, we are maintaining vigilance. Like all global businesses, as I mentioned previously, 
we too are experiencing ongoing supply chain disruptions expected to carry on throughout the remainder of the fiscal year. We are mitigating this through continued strategic order management that's proven effective. However, as Jennifer mentioned, we are meaningfully increasing our use of expedited freight, ensuring we enter the fall-winter season in a strong inventory position. Building on the momentum of our business, we are driving hard on our four strategic growth levers and continue to make meaningful progress. First, e-commerce and omni-channel innovation. We are capitalizing on our multi-channel client relationship by progressing our omni-initiative and personalizational capabilities. We expect to launch store inventory visibility come August, quickly followed by buy online ship from store and buy online pickup and store beginning rollout by the end of the fiscal year. Second, geographical expansion. We remain on target to open six to eight new boutiques this year in premier U.S. markets and six expansions of existing boutiques across North America with additional deals underway. Already this quarter, we have opened Panga in Canoga Park, California, and we're very excited to open the Grove, our first boutique in West Hollywood, California, later this week. We're also planning for our Super, super World pop-up boutiques in time for our fall-winter season come August. The first reopening in the heart of Soho, New York, and the second new boutique opening on iconic Melrose Avenue in Los Angeles. Third, brand awareness and customer expansion. We're capitalizing on growth opportunities in the United States, including the ongoing build-out of our paid media program, and are developing both our customer acquisition and retention strategy. And fourth, product expansion. We're meaningfully expanding our product lines by progressing with the development of new categories, extending our depth, and widening our breadth. Over the last few decades, while we've considered an expansion in the men's, we've always maintained a disciplined focus on our women's business. However, when the opportunity to acquire reigning champ was presented earlier this year, it was too perfect to pass up. As I mentioned on the analyst call at the time of the acquisition, although there are cost savings and synergies, this isn't a cost saving exercise. It is a revenue growth opportunity. We look forward to capitalizing on our world-class operational expertise and infrastructure as men's merchandise independently will become a meaningful part of Ritchie's platform and corresponding growth. We're emerging from the pandemic confident in our ability to consistently deliver profitable growth. Our business momentum, led by the continued acceleration of sales in the United States and sustained e-commerce growth, will be supported with ongoing investments in strategic infrastructure, including the recruitment of targeted world-class talent, continuously optimized processes, meaningfully enhanced technology, and the significant expansion of our distribution network. I remain deeply grateful for our people's unwavering commitment to Aritzia and our clients' enduring loyalty to our everyday lecture experience. I could not be more excited about our future. Thank you. Ariel, with that, let's open the line up for questions. Certainly. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star, then 1 on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then 2. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue. Our first question comes from Mark Altschwager of Baird. Please go ahead. 
Uh, good afternoon, and congrats on the, the continued momentum here. So um, it, it's great to hear that all the boutiques are, are reopened in Canada. Um, I'm curious, how are you thinking about pent-up demand with the stores now reopen? It, I guess it seems you've very effectively captured demand in your digital channel through this period of disruption. So I'm trying to think through, you know, how much incremental growth you think you could see from here in the coming quarters versus perhaps just more of a normalization with some of these channel dynamics. I'm going to start and I'll pass this over to Todd here with the actual numbers if he has any. But, you know, it, it, it's too soon with Toronto. Um, you know, the uh, the Canadian stores, the other Canadian stores that were open, half our Canadian stores in the West, the challenge we had is that they were they stayed open during uh, times oscillating up and down, COVID uh, numbers, so people felt comfortable and then not comfortable and comfortable and not comfortable, and so there wasn't really definitive sort of spikes in e-commerce business when people felt less comfortable and vice versa. So it was pretty hard to, to, to judge. And so far, with Ontario opening, we think we probably get a pretty good read, but we're not really going to get a good read until to be able to answer that question until these stores get open um, to figure out how much is actual incremental versus not. So, well, the stores are open until they get full capacity starting this Friday. So, you know, I, I, I don't know if we have an answer, Todd. Do you have a feel for that yet? It's too hard. I think it's, it is too early to yeah. Too early to comment, but but what we have seen uh, in the United States is uh, our stores reopen and our e-commerce business continue to grow from this, from last year. So we're we're hoping that the same uh, we're we're, we're off, cautiously optimistic the same thing's going to happen here in Canada. Yeah, that is uh, that's helpful. And then um, separately, you guys pulled back on your typical sale period, I think, in the, the first half of the, the calendar year here. I'm curious how you're thinking about sale events and promotional strategies uh, for, for the back half relative to what the company has done uh, historically. So what we're thinking, yeah, we, we, we lost our regular uh, lighten-up sale in the spring. I'm not sure if we're going to have our regular layered-on sale in the fall. We'll determine if we're going to have that. Uh, we'll have to do a little bit to do with how our strategy and sales strategy, but also with supply chain disruptions and how business is and how much inventory we have. Uh, so we're going to be monitoring that. Um, it's, we delayed our, our American um, sale going early prior to uh, Memorial Day to the beginning of June and that we're going to continue that that's done we're not going to we're not going to go back to to what we wanted to change that for a decade now so that's now fixed um, but uh, you know I, I think there's two points here one is our, our marketing department feels that we're talking about sale a little too much um, but the product department needs to have sale to clear out inventory, and we have a addiction at Aritzia to starting in squeaky clean inventory, and we always will try to do that. So, um, you know, maybe the solution is decoupling and have us continuing with different sale periods and various sale periods, but have marketing speak to them less. And so we've been debating that of late, but. Uh, our objective is to be on sale a little less than we have been in the past, and so we're going to sort of figure out and, and try and navigate that just and see how that manifests. Okay. 
Thank you for the detail. I'll jump back in the queue. Our next question comes from Mark Petrie of CIBC. Please go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, good afternoon. Um, just, you know, want to ask about the differences you're seeing uh, between the Canadian and U.S. markets. And separate from the differences in opening restrictions, have you observed any differences in sort of consumer de demand? Um, you know, what, um, uh, what people are actually buying? And does that have any implication about how you plan or position uh, for upcoming seasons? Um, you know, I think that's a good question. It's, it's going to be interesting to see because we've all seen the pictures of celebrations and festivals and music and get-togethers in the United States. Um, you know, I saw about two months ago a, a video that just blew my mind on I think it was a Vegas poolside scene. <laughs> it didn't even look like COVID ever even existed, let alone even happened. So, you know, we'll see how, how Canadians react to that. Our sense is there's been less euphoric response um, uh, to, to COVID, or maybe we're just a little bit more cautious here. I don't know. Uh, so your guess is as good as mine on what's going to happen there. As far as product goes, um, you know, we, we always did have a great uh, mix of product, and that's one of the things we've always been most proud of is, is not just through the department, uh, the, 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 the various product types, T-shirts, blouses, sweaters, jackets, dresses, coats, whatever. Um, it also across uh, having different product for our customer and her, her needs, whether she's going to work, whether she's going out, whether she's hanging out on the weekend, whether she's exercising, whatever. We've always tried to have be there for her regardless of what her activities. Um, when COVID first hit, we saw a definitive drop immediately in going out clothes as well as professional wear. We've seen a rebound now in the going out wear, but we haven't seen a rebound in the professional wear quite as much. But... Uh, Time will tell, I and mean, we'll see what gets mandated come fall. And you know, we're we're optimistic that people are going to want to refresh their wardrobes, regardless of what they're up to. So um, we haven't really got a good read on the U.S. versus Canada, but that's a little bit has to do with the seasons too. People aren't don't typically dress up in the same manner in the summer, and they're a bit more casual and a little less clothing. So. We'll be able to answer that question a little bit more on our next earnings call after we see a reaction to our fall assortment. But uh, um, we're optimistic that, that people's wardrobes are going to be going back to normal here um, on how they had previously purchased. And, and as I mentioned, we're set up at Aritzia to do whatever it may be, whatever whatever way the wind blows here on, on clothing and what, what she wants, we're, we're there for her. Yeah, okay. Thanks. And, and I guess just following up, but maybe a slightly se separate topic, um, I'm just curious, maybe it's difficult to answer given the noise of the pandemic, but is there any difference in how the Canadian consumer or the U.S. consumer has responded to your efforts around additional colors, cuts, and sizes, um, or is it pretty consistent across the two markets? It's pretty consistent across the two markets. Um, you know, uh, we're going to see some differences, I think, in, in uh, color, particularly come fall and winter in the United States, where we have a lot of growth in the, in the southern United States. But up to this point in time, it's been pretty consistent. The reaction's been, been very positive, both in Canada and the United States. 
Okay. And then one more, if I could, <clears throat> this one may be for Todd, I'm not sure, but um, I guess just generally, you know, there's obviously a lot of puts and takes on margin, but fundamentally as the business exit, the pandemic has the underlying profitability of the business shifted given the changes in product and geographic mix or other factors. I mean, you highlighted some, you know, relatively meaningful SG&A um, costs that you expect this year. Um, but presumably that, 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 layers out over the course of time. But um, do you think the business exits the pandemic fundamentally different from a profitability perspective? No, no, we do not. Um, you know, we're still, as, as I discussed, experiencing COVID-related expenses that are, are material. And, and we've made investments over the last two years in, in our people. Uh, you know, last year during the pandemic, we continued to invest as we have done this year. And, and those investments in IT and e-commerce and marketing, they will all generate uh, what we feel is outpaced growth in the years ahead. And, and so, no, we don't believe there's any fundamental shift. Um, you know, having said that, as our business grows in the United States and that becomes a more meaningful part of our business, um, especially the e-commerce channel. I think, you know, we've talked about that uh, quite a bit, is that that is our, our most, uh, our, our highest uh, margin channel and the most accretive. Uh, so, you know, as, as that continues to, to grow, uh, we do expect, you know, margins over time will, will expand from that dynamic. Understood. Appreciate all the comments and all the best. Our next question comes from Derek Dully of Canaccord. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi, thanks. Um, I was just wondering if you could talk about, you know, how you envision now that you're starting to see brick and mortar reopen across the board here, the mix between e-commerce and, and brick and mortar stores. And, you know, I guess more curious in terms of your plan to, in the past with the e-commerce strategy, you were offering more sizes. Is that are you still going to have more sizes online versus in the store? How do you plan on sort of managing that mix? Yeah, I mean, our stores have been getting bigger over the years, and they continue to get bigger. Um, a lot of the stores are opening now, albeit the growth we're about to open isn't particularly large. But some of the stores we've been opening have been meaningfully larger than, than we have in the past. Um, it's helping us. We have some expansions happening in Canada with some flagship opportunities. Uh, that we're expanding in as well. So from a size perspective, our stores are getting bigger, but they are not in any way, shape, or form keeping pace with the growth of our product online. So whereas our stores are, are, are growing, you know, our average store size is growing 10% a year because we have 100 stores, so they're not growing particularly unless they're getting repositioned. Um, uh, our, our product mix is growing far faster than that, larger than that. So, you know, we don't have any stores now that house our whole product assortment. And as we continue to expand in colors, sizes, lengths, and other categories, our stores are not going to be able to hold our product or have, be able to hold even less of a percentage of the product. But that's fine because we have a robust e-commerce channel, and that's one of the benefits of e-commerce is is you can sell as much as your warehouse can, can hold and your distribution centers can hold. And that's why Jennifer is embarking on a big expansion of our distribution network right now to accommodate the expansion of our product, specifically online. You know, the stores, 
we've been pleasantly surprised with how they bounce back. We don't know if this is just pent up demand or this is going to continue. We don't know at this point in time. Um, sort of a high cost problem. Wondering whether your stores will come back down to earth as we predicted. But um, I think that uh, uh, you know the the stores and the, the positioning of the stores, although they're profit centers for Ritzy and although we sell a lot of product in our stores, you know, the role of the stores starts to change and it's about the 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 presentation of your brand and the experience a customer has and setting that up in real life versus online. So I think it's a combination and I will continue to say I think we're extremely well positioned having world-class retail and world-class e-commerce, and we think that's a strategic advantage for Ritzy in particular, both today and going forward. So we don't see that changing. So, um, you know, the, the expansion of our product, not just in sizes and shapes and colors and things like that, um, and categories and all sorts of things, um, a lot of that expansion will occur online only. Okay, well, that's really helpful. And then just one more, just in terms of the, the expansion with, of, the, of the distribution centers, um, you know, Jennifer, it sounds like that was predominantly meant for e-commerce in, in you know, Eastern Canada and the U.S. market, but um, is there any update on, on an international strategy beyond North America, or is it, is it sort of too early to ask that question? Yeah, um, you know, we, we were really focusing on the international um, uh, a few years back, and it sort of dawned on us that maybe we're better off looking at the easy, low-hanging fruit of the United States, which is right there. And that's one of the reasons our business has grown so fast in the last 24 and 12 months is through um, of late, or since, certainly since, the, since last year, is due to the fact that we focused on the U.S., and the U.S. is driving our growth right now. So, um, you know, we... Our, our international is certainly back on our radar now, um, and we're certainly uh, putting strategies together to continue to grow our international, but our focus is still uh, firmly in the U.S. There's a huge opportunity for us there, and we're going to continue to explore that while we can, but uh, the international is certainly uh, back on the uh, drawing board, per, per se, and figuring out strategies on how we're going to grow that, too. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Our next question comes from Irene Nattel of RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks and good afternoon, everyone. Just kind of thinking about the conversation that's been happening so far. Um, so I guess the first question is, obviously, as you expand the, the offering, both in terms of categories and in terms of sizes, colors, et cetera, um, how do you effectively communicate that? Uh, to your existing customer base to the extent that a lot of that is going to be available online as opposed to in-store? Well, hi, Irene. Thank you for that question. You know, I, I think there's a, there's a matter of, you know, with colors and things like that, uh, we are going to start promoting color in general. There's a lot of our competitors promote color out there right now, and so we're going to can, we're going to start probably spending a little bit more time promoting color. Um, you know, I think from a sizing perspective and length perspective, we have just we we don't have sizes and lengths in all our styles at the moment. It's been successful um, when we're in a position that we feel confident that we can. Uh, um, 
uh, sort of promise to our customer that those sizes and lengths are there and deliver on those, that's when we'll probably start speaking about it a little bit more. It's going to be pretty simple. We have a robust uh, direct-to-consumer communication channels. We have social media. We have our, our website. So it's going to be pretty in and we obviously have our retail stores. It's going to be pretty simple to communicate that. We just want to make sure that we're comfortable with the length offering, the size offering, and some of these other offerings. And then I think from a, a new product category perspective, I think the customers are going to be able to, you know, we're going to be promoting those as they launch. And so I don't think it's going to be any secret to anybody, these, this product. And I think it will be quite simple to communicate that. We just have to make sure that we have our ducks all lined up and we're pretty comfortable before we start communicating too much about it. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you, Brian. And then just sort of continuing the discussion about sort of the potential impact of all of this. You know, if we go back to, you know, pre-COVID, you were on this great trajectory of, let's call it, you know, mid-teens plus or minus in any given year, sort of top-line growth. But is it reasonable, Brian, to think that over the next several years, as you do launch so many of these initiatives, that we could actually see an acceleration in that top-line growth rate? You know, we're, you know, Jennifer's always reminding both Todd and myself to to uh, plan for the worst and hope for the best. So uh, we're planning that same level of growth. We're hoping it will grow, and we may see some some more robust growth as well. And we're certainly setting ourselves up for that. Um, but we're planning. We're being conservative in our planning and making sure that whatever it is that we're we're planning for is something that we, we feel pretty comfortable because there's a lot of moving parts, whether it be distribution center size, IT systems, headcounts, all sorts of things. And you know, we don't want to be sitting here coming to 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 you and one day and saying, hey, we invested all these things in sales and suit. So we're going to be conservative and and uh, on how we we plan everything and and how we're hopefully going to set us we're going to set ourselves up and hope that we we will achieve some higher growth rates for sure. Okay, and then finally, last question on this topic, I promise. Um, you know, again, just continuing to th think this through, you've been investing um, in all this talent, which is great because it's enabling you to do all that stuff. Um, sort of presumably at some point, and I don't know if it's two years, and it's probably too hard to put a pin in, but we should see um, sort of a, a a, more of a convergence in terms of, or, or we should see sort of, I guess, some of the SG and, that, and A grow into the sales levels. Is that a way to think about it? Yes, yes, I mean, exactly. I think, you know, as I was answering to Mark, that, that's exactly how we're looking at it. And this year is still being pressured again by COVID expenses and, and then um, two years worth of uh, you know, growth in our or investments in our people that will contribute to outpace growth in the coming years, and you know we fully expect to return and then uh, likely exceed our our previous margin levels. That's that's very helpful. Thank you. I'll I'll get back in the queue. Thanks. Our next question comes from Stephen McLeod of BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Well, thank you. Good afternoon. Um, 
Lots of uh, lots of great ground covered so far, but I just wanted to follow up on two things. Um, the first one was uh, Brian in your prepared remarks. You talked a little bit about uh, you know investments in social media and influencer um, uh, type uh, marketing. Can you just elaborate a little bit on what those investments might look like? Um, is the magnitude material, and are these more focused on specific offerings, specific products, or more more broad based in terms of brand building? You know, I think, first of all, I'll go backwards here. I think it's a combination of specific products if we have specific products to promote and brand building on cases where we don't. Um, um, you know, we have been doing some in the past. Uh, we brought on some people now. Uh, I haven't seen to, to kind of re, re and re our strategy here um, overall in those areas. I mean, we brought on someone in social, however, we have a fairly robust social platform right now. Is it perfect? No. Do we have holes in it? Yes. Um, could we be doing better? Yes. But you know, we have extremely high engagement on Instagram, people, and places like that, like um, some of them in the top quartile of the industry. So, um, uh, so I've been told, anyways. But um, the um, you know we're waiting for strategy. We brought on some real professionals here who've got a lot of experience in this area. We'll note that um, you know the, the TikTok has 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 come to the forefront now, uh, and and slightly for a reason too. It's, it's, it's a lot, you know, Instagram was a wild west for a while there, and now um, you know they're they've smartened up and it's becoming expensive, and 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 the algorithms have been changing and things. So you have to do speed to get a hold of them, to get through to your customers and things like that. So. One thing I do know is that the social landscape changes fairly regularly and is evolving on a basis, and so it's important that you stay ahead of, ahead of that. So it's not like it's, you can put a strategy in place in rather than three or four years. You have to evolve that strategy. So we're always re-looking and looking at this, and we have some new professionals now coming in. I haven't seen sort of the next iteration of what our strategy is, but I'm hoping to see it in the next few weeks and, and we'll go from there once I see it. Okay, that's uh, that's great. Thank you. Um, and then maybe I uh, just want just following up, uh, Todd, on something in the last questions that you were talking about with respect to SG and leverage. Um, you know, do, is the way to think about where we are today um, that, you know, this, this SG&A, uh, the, the impact from the investment investments as well as, you know, obviously COVID will be isolated to this year or presumably, but in terms of the SG&A that you're taking on to, to, uh, to support some of the investments that you've made, do you expect that to continue to weigh like into the next fiscal year or is it too soon to tell? I'm just trying to get a sense as to, you know, when you expect to, uh, to leverage those SG&A investments in a more material way. Yeah, uh, hi, Steve. Um, you know, I think the best thing to do is just note that as we've been discussing for like the last 12 months or maybe even 18, we're planning to provide a revised multi-year uh, plan, which will obviously include the, the projected revenue growth as well as um, our margin expectations. And we, we are still targeting to do that this fall, um, but, you know, obviously need to ensure that the, 
business continues to normalize here over the next two to three months. Uh, so I, I think I would leave it uh, till then. But you know, as I said, we expect uh, our margins will, or, or, or even our margins will return to pre-COVID levels over time, and and then grow grow beyond that. Okay, that, that that's helpful. That's great. Totally understandable. Um, and then maybe just finally, with respect to reigning champ, I know you're in the early days of ownership. Um, but I'm just curious what kind of um, industry feedback you've gotten on that acquisition um, and maybe even potential uh, client feedback as well. Yeah, that's an interesting question you asked. Uh, we haven't, uh, I, you know, the client feedback hasn't uh, gotten made its way up to me. And anecdotally, I have friends and people that have congratulated me. But from an industry perspective, we've gotten a lot of great feedback uh, from uh, people we do business with, prospective employees, that, senior employees that are coming on, super excited about it, uh, internal employees that are super excited about it. So we've gotten some really great feedback. And the good news has been as well is that um, Craig and the team from Raining Champ have received multitudes of feed, positive feedback from their, uh, from the, their, their end of the industry, both the men's or in the streetwear industry. So. I think a lot of people uh, felt uh, this was a really uh, great arrangement and up to this point in time, it's early days as you mentioned, but uh, we couldn't be more thrilled uh, uh, how we're going about the integration, everything Jen mentioned, but just anecdotally as well, uh, you know, talking with Craig a couple times a week and what we're able to do and some of the shifts we've already made and uh, you know I think it's uh, it's going to be a great great uh, partnership here going forward great thanks so much our next question comes from Patricia Baker of Scotiabank please go ahead uh, thank you very much and good afternoon everyone Jennifer, I wonder if we could talk a little bit more about the Toronto BC. You know that it's the largest project uh, in the company's history. Are there any incremental capabilities that will come to the Ritz here from having this facility? I mean, apart from the fact that it's going to be, uh, you know, uh, three and a half times larger than your existing BC? Um, one of the big functionalities that we'll be able to offer by insourcing is we'll be able to ship cross-border from this distribution center. So right now we ship cross-border from our Vancouver, D.C., and for various reasons it's difficult to do that with the 3PL that, um, right now. So I think that will, and that's going to add a ton of volume in particular, but just having that functionality to cro uh, ship cross-border will be a, a big game-changer for us. And then in addition to that, we are, you know, exploring various um, various levels of automation that might make it um, more cost-effective. Although what we have found with our business in being such a unit-oriented um, business and highly personalized with packaging and whatnot, that um, it, it will the level of automation will, will be very, very minimal um, in comparison to, say, um, an Amazon. Um, but other than that, I think um, we'll find having control by insourcing it will be a real game-changer. No, absolutely. Thank you. And then just lastly, uh, with respect to Q1, were there any particular product wins in the, in, in the quarter? Um, 
You know, I think we've, what we've seen more so in Q1 and a continuation in Q2 is we had shortages of product in fall and winter. We, we, um, we were light on inventory, as I think a lot of retailers were, but, uh, and we saw our business do extremely well in Q3 and Q4 last year, but we could have done better, and that's why you saw our inventory levels rise at the end of Q4 because we started finally getting enough product in to fuel our sales and our sales growth. So uh, as far as wins go, I wouldn't say there's any particular item. It's just the fact that we have right-sized our inventory for our growing business. And it took us a while to catch up. It, it, it surprised us. And we were quite bullish on fall and winter, but we still didn't have enough inventory. And, and so, you know, the great news is our inventory is in great position right now levels are really great and we're seeing that we're seeing that uh, we saw that in q3 q4 our sales but as i mentioned it could have been better but we've seen that's what's fueled our great q1 and our our strong outlook for q2 now and hopefully that continues into the fall but uh you know we've had a when our business is this good one typically we have a lot of different products that are resonating with the consumer not just one or two thank you very much brian this concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Helen Kelly for any closing remarks. Thank you, Ariel, and thanks again to everyone for joining us this afternoon. We'll be available after the call to answer any of the questions you might have. And if we don't see you, enjoy your summer, and we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating, and have a pleasant day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.